Hey, Chad here. Just to let you know that Mike and I recorded this episode the same morning that Travis was forced to resign as CEO from Uber by its investors. Stay tuned for our thoughts on Travis's history at Uber and how he's navigated the unprecedented growth and controversy during his tenure. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Moonshots podcast. Uh, in fact, episode two, we're back. And I am your co-host, Mike Parsons. And I'm joined by the man with the plan, Mr. Chad Owen. How are you, Mike? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm enjoying the sunshine here in Bucharest. And I trust you're keeping up your end in summertime there in New York. I am. What's, uh, what's taking you to Bucharest? Oh, Bucharest is uh, work, 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 um, building a very uh, interesting app for a large co-working space with all sorts of uh, magical door entry, IoT, and cool stuff. So it's keeping me out of trouble, you might say. Yeah, I just got back from your old stomping grounds in San Francisco, uh, filming a, a TEDx conference, TEDx Soma, there last week. And uh, be on the lookout for some new videos on the TED channel from, from that conference. Yeah, what was it like shooting a, shooting a TED? That must have been pretty cool. That was fun. I had the easy job. I think the curation and, the, and, and, and getting all of the speakers and presenters up to, to par is probably the, the hardest part. It's easy to show up uh, with the cameras, but um, I thought everyone did an amazing job and um, just you know, kudos to the TEDxOma team for putting on an amazing event. Right. And the, the one thing that's, to me, really signature about all TED events is, my gosh, do they get their speakers like on point, really clean, uh, very, very smooth. Um, did you get to see how they do that? Like, how do, how do they get everyone so well prepared? A lot of rehearsals. Yeah. And they really? just... Really? Yeah. To, I think they kind of relentlessly uh, be sure that everyone's on point because um, you know, they want to create an, uh, you know, a great experience for everyone um, and, and so that they can you know, get on to the, the TEDx you know, media channels and um, you know, be promoted there as well. Oh, right, right, right. Of course, because if it's TEDx, it, it's not a guaranteed posting uh, into the TED network. So if they do a great job, lots of rehearsals, yeah. um, every, everyone's shiny. Hmm. Very cool. But enough, enough hey, about so, me. About, yeah, what, what's, what, do we, what do we got on the docket this week? My question to you, so we have to admit that uh, our listeners probably were expecting uh, Jeff Bezos, which we had t- told everyone we were going to do, but uh, the little news fairy uh, took hold of things, so we changed things up. So what's, what's in store this episode? Well, I think it would be hard for us not to talk about Uber and um, the founder, CEO, Travis Kalanick. So that's who we've queued up on the show this week. Yeah, and um, I've got to say, it, it culminated uh, news of this week, just for our listeners in case they, they haven't heard. Uh, Travis is taking a uh, leave of absence from the company, and it really comes at the end of uh, a whole series of scandals for the company this year. Um, I, I put a bit of a list together here, uh, Chad, um, but for you, what's been the, the, the most striking scandal at, at Uber over the last six months? 
It's really hard to overlook the fact that Eric Holder, the former Attorney General of the United States, uh, his firm has been hired, you know, to look into um, you know, discriminatory uh, and you know shady uh, dealings within the company. So uh, for, for right. me, that's kind of the hardest thing to overlook. Yeah, it is. It's really like sending in like a, a Jedi Knight uh, to come and. Uh, um, do do a one over on the place and uh you know what was interesting the company has in fact adopted all of his recommendations of which at the core of it was basically pulling apart uh travis the ceo's role and, and assigning out his work to other other individuals but i mean just just for such a hot startup for for a startup that has achieved so much I think it's important to put the last six months into context and to also realize what achievements have actually um, been, been done there at Uber. So first of all, just in eight years, they've hit $6 billion in annualized revenue. They have a valuation of post $60 billion. They're now at a, well over 12,000 employees, uh, enormously valued for the private sector, fastest growing com- company. Um, they've created millions of flex jobs. One thing I wanted to ask you, Chad, like every time I'm in an Uber, no matter what country I'm in, the Uber drivers, for all of the challenges that they have with Uber, they love the flexibility that the job offers. What do you, what do you often get from, from Uber drivers when, when you're driving around? For me, it's always been, I, I love that I can choose my own hours, but yeah. I wish that I got paid more. <laughs> yeah yeah that's it's so true and um it's a it's a big price to play uh for the flexibility i must say that um what i really ping on the company as being an, a massive achievement is how they've they've gone into cities that have got monopolies particularly with taxi licensing and they have fought and busted them open and you know it started in san francisco when i was living there but Actually, if I remember the story right, wasn't the fight with New York pretty feisty for Uber? Yeah, it has been in most of the large markets um, that have entrenched taxi industries, like especially London. I think London and New York were some of their biggest uh, regulatory fights. Um, And but they're still here, um, but they've gotten kicked out of cities like Austin in the much smaller markets. But that's um, right. You know, That's a bigger right. grass, grassroots movement, I think, to to have them do uh, deeper background checks on their on their drivers. Yep, that's been a big issue. They had a, a terrible scandal in India um, where one of their executives was fired for accessing uh, the case files from an alleged um, rape uh, incident. Uh, they've had all sorts. They had one of their female engineers come out and talk about what's been happening at the company. Uh, they're in a, I mean, this, the list goes on. They, they're in a legal battle with Google uh, for um, uh, this, the alleged stealing of proprietary data. We also had in February his moment. Do you remember the dash cam video of him talking to a driver? Yeah, and he kind of, um, he kind of told him, oh, you know, I, I, I don't really want to listen to your grievances. Tough, you know, tough shit. Sorry. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, I mean, and this is what we're talking about right now is just what's happened so far this year, which is additionally their Grayball tool, which was avoiding regulators uh, in cities, allegedly. And then 
Um, there was a, a big issue that their supposed uh, autonomous vehicle technology is, large, is largely done manually <laughs> by some elf in the back. Um, it, it really is. And, and this is just in the last six months. He was, he was uh, uh, entangled with President Trump. I mean, and this is just the last six months. So it is really, a, 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 you couldn't write uh, a story uh, this dramatic, and it all goes in light of really up until the last year or so, they've been a heavyweight champion of the world in San Francisco. They've um, they've really been leading the pack, and I think that it's just such a, a stark contrast and such a a fall, for, a quick fall from grace. Right? I don't I don't remember many uh, companies. Maybe Zenefits comes to mind. Uh, I can't remember a company that's gone sideways so quickly. Can you? No, and I think that's why we just had to uh, take this episode to to dive a little deeper into some pieces of media that can give us a little bit of a window into uh, Travis's thinking over the past couple of years as he's as he's talked to other um, you know big uh, big names in media and, and in tech. Right, right. So we've 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 gone for actually. Um, deconstructing two different interviews, right? Uh, let's let's talk about these two. So the listeners, if if they're interested, they can they can call up the entire uh, interview. So tell us about them. So if you search uh, Fireside Chat and Travis Kalanick on YouTube, you should find one from uh, 2015 with Mark Benioff of Salesforce, and then you should also find one with Ariana Huffington in November of 2016, uh, a few months after she was. Uh, installed on the board of Uber. That's right. That was right. And I, I think we should we should um, put one thing in context here. They're a little softball um, because Ariana is, as you mentioned, she's on the board, so it's all pretty softball stuff. Um, but he does reveal some really interesting things. Mark, on the other hand, uh, a little less uh, softball, but uh, still very generous in 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 the the interview. So it's, it's not quite the, uh, the rigor of, of a TED or maybe a recode, but we, we dug up some great nuggets um, that give us a, a peek into the mind of, of Travis. And I think also, too, there's a lot of lessons to learn here. So do you want to fire up the first clip and introduce that one? Sure. And this is just Travis trying to succinctly explain the business model of Uber, at least how he uh, sees it um, as, as the kind of uh, marketplace or platform uh, that they've created at Uber. It's, it's sort of that consistency in you getting a pickup in a, in a short period of time and you having that sort of safe, efficient ride from point A to point B. And where, you know, so of course on the operations side, that means, you know, we need to get thousands and thousands of partners on our system all the time. Literally every week we're onboarding thousands of people in San Francisco, right? Um, and, you know, for a thing like Dreamforce, we're going we're gonna to actually start doing, you know, additional onboarding, you know, weeks ahead of time to make sure that we're planning for this kind of thing. So we have to, we have to predict demand so that we can then match it with supply. There's an operations, a marketing and operations aspect, which is, okay, how do we get more partners on the system? How many do we need? How, how do we get them on the system? How do we streamline that onboarding? Um, 
there's a filtering process to make sure they're qualified and, and they're Uber. And then um, once they're on the system, uh, they're providing rides. And so you need to make sure that, you know, we need to do everything we can to make sure that those routes are good, um, mm-hmm. that they're, they're getting people from point A to point B efficiently. And so a little context for that clip, uh, he's really just explaining the the reactivity and scale that Uber brings. Like, So Dreamforce is a conference in San Francisco that brings tens of thousands, maybe even 100,000 people to the city. So they predict that demand and know that they have to onboard more partners or drivers uh, mm. to be able to meet the demand of moving people all around. And... Um, from what I've read, it really seems like they have a very streamlined process to get as many drivers on board as quickly as possible to meet this demand, which, which yeah. is really interesting in how they predict it um, and then actively you know, try and, and meet that demand before it actually materializes. Right. So, so I can definitely confirm the city literally does come to a standstill uh, during uh, Dreamforce uh, week. It's, it's an absolute nightmare, to be honest. I think that there's a really big thing inside of here. I think why we love this clip is uh, for all of our listeners who are, you know, working on new ideas, uh, trying to bring disruptive products to market, the model they're using is what we call this two-sided marketplace. And you can think about Airbnb is another great example of this. What's critical is, uh, and it's, this is the art of this, this type of business model, is you must continuously be recalibrating your supply and demand, because the the greatest challenge they face is having either too many drivers or not enough. They are at uh, because they don't operate uh, the vehicles. They are pushing uh, operational responsibility, ownership uh, to the driver. So they really have to create uh, a very seamless way for them to continually get new new riders. On the other hand, you know, they always need to supply new riders for the drivers. And it sounds very simplistic, um, but it's incredibly hard. And um, this is really the first step in them creating magic. The second thing that, that I think is really in here, and I'm sure you can imagine, is how much data they are collecting on both sides and the sort of predictive analysis they can do with that. So this is the key, is using the data to com- com- continuously create that, that equilibrium. So just to see how amazing they really are as a company, can you actually remember the last time, Chad, can you remember the last time you waited more than 10 minutes for an Uber? I think it was maybe when I was catching a flight at like 3 a.m. or 4 a.m., but yeah, it was, it was a while ago. Right, and, and if you think about life before Uber, not only have I waited 20 or 30 minutes for cabs, but when I was living in San Francisco, trying to get to the San Francisco airport, I twice was stood up by the yellow cab company and the, the tax actually never came at all. And this was the, around the time that Uber was just starting in San Francisco. So by using the two-sided marketplace and this predictive and, and analytical thinking, they have made things, and, and to go back to our Elon uh, show, they have made things well beyond 10 times better. It's, it's, um, it's phenomenal the improvement they've, they've um, added to getting around cities. I, I think it's fantastic. So um, this really is at the heart of, of their success. 
Yeah, and another interesting point along with the data is um, Uber is not a public company at this point, but they've they've uh, disclosed a lot of financial information that a normal public company would. I think kind of to get themselves prepared to eventually go go public. But what you realize is all of that data that they collect allows all of these companies that are interested in investing in them know and build their own financial models for the success of the company. They can see how many new riders are coming on month after month, and they can see this this growth trajectory. I mean, in my opinion, that's why that's why they've been able. That's why they raised you know a billion dollars or over a billion dollars in in a round of funding because the the data and the numbers speak for themselves. Yeah, so if you if you want to look at this a bit further, Chad, there's a movement.uber.com is a website that they've actually um, uh, built where you can actually dive in uh, some anonymized data and check it all out. So also for our listeners, we'll put it in the show notes, which you can get at moonshots.io. Uh, but that's also a cool cool way to check out some of the data stuff that they're, they're doing. What is the next next clip uh, on our lovely friend Travis Kalanick. That's, uh, well, I think this is one that you were going to introduce, but just a, a quick bit of history on on Travis. He dropped out of UCLA, um, like so many uh, startup founders, um, and worked with some friends on a company called Scour, which was kind of a precursor and contemporary to Napster, uh, you mm. know, file sharing, media sharing. Um, and took his learnings from that company and and founded Red Swoosh, which um, kind of took that file sharing technology and took it to the enterprise. You know how how to efficiently uh, distribute media um, for for enterprises. You know pre Amazon, AWS, and and other mm-hmm, content mm-hmm. delivery networks that are kind of so pervasive today. Um, but he had, he had some interesting stories about you know the beginnings um, at Uber. Okay, let's let's jump into our, our next clip. And um, here, uh, Travis is talking about the very early days of starting the company and the role uh, that he played in getting um, limousine companies to participate in, in at the time, uh, a very unknown project. We, uh, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm putting an Excel sheet in just old school. I'm, I'm you, know, the, you know, the term is like dialing for dollars. I'm calling up every limo company I can in San Francisco and I'm calling them up and your pitch at the beginning your first pitch you know they hang up on you right away and then you start getting it and it was like I want to be your biggest customer you know I can I can help you make 50% more in a week you know and that's where it started and how, how was that received how were those calls so a third, those of, calls a third of the a third of the calls you know basically I got hung up on before I got to the core pitch Okay, a third of the calls they heard about a minute and a half, and then I got hung up on, and then a third were like, "This is interesting." So dialing for dollars, huh? Um, I can actually see him. It's 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 almost like boiler room style, right? You can just imagine him hitting the phones. I wonder if he had like this huge bell if he got a deal. I mean, that seems pretty spot on for him. Um, I thought this. Told, told us a lot about the not only what they did, but kind of that style, right, Chad? Like just dialing for dollars. Yeah, and this was before they had any kind of tech product too, you know. I think it's 
often overlooked sometimes. So people think, well, you know, the genius is in building the technology, but I think, um, you know, Travis's tenacity and just going after these companies um, is really, you know, how he's able to find product market fit and say, oh, well, there's all these limousines that are idle for half the time. Why can't me and my, you know, buddies, you know, pay them and, you know, go out on the town in a Lincoln Town car? Right, right. And um, going back to the two-sided marketplace uh, idea that we mentioned earlier, crucial. Like uh, he goes on to talk about how everyone wanted to get onto this uh, service before it was an app, but he actually needed to get lots of drivers on. So he was just hitting the the phone book and and getting getting people in. So very good insight in just to the hustle that you need to have in the early stages of, of a company. Um, you want to introduce our, our next uh, our next one, Chad? Yeah, these these next two clips are, I think, Travis's interesting um, statements around you know what the what the product uh, that Uber is delivering and what they're doing. Um, so uh, so here's here's him explaining the the three different pillars of the product and and kind of what Uber does. It's three things for product: one, convenience easier to get around, super efficient, reliable, all those things we talked about. Two, it's affordable, right? And three, a certain amount of magic. And you do those three things, you basically know everything Uber's going to do. If, if something's moving from somewhere to somewhere else in a city, that's our jam. Hmm. Oh. I, I love that's our jam. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I, I just feel it would be appropriate to high five right now. I mean, a fist pump. What do you think? It'd be a fist pump for Trav. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he sees a lot of his work as, as jamming. If, if you listen to other interviews that he's done, I think that's kind of a core way in which he works, you know, surrounding himself with other, um, other highly driven people, talented people, and just sit down and, and, and jam. Right. Right. What did you think of his uh, three pillars of products? Like, how did how did that re- resonate with you? It goes back to you talking about reliability, and you know how how long do we have to wait for an Uber now? It's it's oh. really practically no time at all. And so I think that metric f- for them has has worked. I think that driving down the time, you know, to to get an Uber and just you know getting your getting you and, and passengers to their destinations quickly, I think has really worked out for them. Totally, totally. And that's at the heart of their, their 10X model, making things 10 times better. They are really uh, making massive inroads there. And, and we'll talk about that a bit later as well. Um, I'm, I'm really keen to, to play the next couple of clips because, as I said earlier, like the scale these guys have achieved in such a short time is off the charts. Totally ridiculous scale. I mean, I want you to think about when most companies that folks are working in uh, maybe 20 to 100 people, and when you add another 10 or 20 to that, it feels like a lot. These guys are adding thousands and thousands of employees every quarter. It's, it's really quite ridiculous. So we're going to hear him talking with Adriana, Ariana this time and uh, talking about some of his, uh, the growth of Uber. You know, to give you an example, three years ago, we were 200 people and we're 10,000 people today, right? It's like three years ago, we might've been doing, I don't know, 50,000 rides a week and we're closing in on 100 million rides a week. 
Wow. So, so gazillions of rides all the time. But, but I think the thing we can really relate to is literally their offices are growing by thousands and thousands of people. And uh, that's happening all the time. So um, remarkable when you think it's only been around for eight years and Uber as a company, since even this recording, is now almost at 12,000 people. Um, and along with all of this scale, uh, I think Travis has been presented with lots of, uh, lots of surprises. So in this next clip, he's going to be talking to Mark about the biggest surprise he's had on the journey so far. Look, I mean, my last company, the biggest we got was 12 people, employees, right? And for most of the time, it was me and, and one engineer, like the first four years, I wasn't really getting a salary those years. Like, so I know what it's like to be an entrepreneur, and entrepreneur usually means what means that. So I think the thing that's just the most surprising, you'd never expect it, you don't plan for it, you shouldn't plan for it, is this kind of just huge impact and growth and size and all mm -hmm. of this, and as quickly as it's come. And there's a lot of lessons to learn. There's a lot of... I mean, if your company's going to grow like that, you got to grow too. Um. Hmm. I feel like he's really starting to get to how we ended up with him taking a leave of absence, all these scandals. And I think he's really presenting us uh, with, he's giving a little, us a little window into the challenge he's faced with that, that scale. How did you, what did you think of that, Chad, when you, when you heard that from him? Yeah, it's interesting because Mark posed it as like a what was what's been your biggest surprise, and I think Travis kind of answered as what his biggest challenge has been. I I think I think at the core, Travis is realizing that he's on a rocket ship and he can really only do so much to steer the course of that 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 massive growth, and I think he's beginning in this interview in 2015 he's beginning to understand like what he needs to do as a leader and as a CEO for the company um, to, to keep the company on track and for it to do well, not just, you know, for the customers and investors, but also for it, their own employees. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, you can just imagine, right. All of the taking care of the riders, taking care of the drivers, the staff, the regulators, the cities, I mean, it's endless, right? Yeah, and I, I think this next clip too um, is some interesting foreshadowing. Um, you know, again, taken in context, this this clip's from 2015, and then based on all the 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 news that's been breaking here, at, you know, the beginning of 2017. You you know, the values that a founder has for his or her company is usually a reflection of their own values. So for me. I don't differentiate between my personal values and my, my company's values. Uh, they're very much the same. Um, and so I try to live by them regardless of whether I'm on the clock or not. I, I, I couldn't resist putting this clip in. I think it is a little bit of a gotcha for Travis, um, but it's maybe a sign that he was overlooking or I don't want to say being flippant about uh, you know, building an inclusive uh, and respectful culture, but 
you know, he did say this probably at the same time where many of these um, issues within the company began. Right. And what's, what's critical here is that at the heart of what he's getting to is sort of a contradiction is that the values that he says are his, he's clearly not acted on. So you, I, I do feel a little, um, a little um, uh, I understand, when you, already we have this context of how hard it was uh, for Travis at, at, at Uber to get from scrappy to big and to scale. Um, and to kind of fall over himself here, it really just tells you that the guy needed already in 2015, he needed help. Uh, so it really, to me, makes me go, what were the board doing? Were they just on the rocket ride and enjoying it? Um, because, you know, they did bring in Ariana way too late because, you know, the problems had well and truly set in. Um, but he really kind of trips over himself here, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I want to turn the question to you, Mike, actually. You, you've been a part of companies large and small, founded on your own, and and part of companies have been founded by others. What's been your experience in managing that that people growth, you know, within the company going from one person to five people or from, uh, you know, five people to 500 people? Wow. Um, so definitely uh, my thing is that once you hit 20 people, um, all the practices that, that got you to 20 people, most of them don't work anymore because you need to insert middle management. So the founders are not able to just be jamming, as Travis would say. And so it does really, really change. And I think, you know, high, slow, fire, fast, man. Like, you know, just be so rigorous on who you hire. Um, the, uh, the best quote I can give you there is Mark Andreessen says, you know, you're only as good as your worst person. And I think it's so true. So hiring people because it's convenient, not because it's adding something, um, is often a big mistake. And, and really, because of my experience, I would, I would say as, you know, uh, as a, as a, usually as a founder or co-founder, I have to admit that in the end, it's really upon the founders when, when values and, and, and culture get off track. It can be easy to blame others, but in the end of the day, it's on the founders, nobody else. Um, and just it, it, it has to, it's got to work at the top because uh, you can't just assume it's just going to, um, it's just not going to happen um, for everybody. You know, it's lead by example. Mm. And so that's probably what culminated in Travis kind of finally taking back and, uh, you know, taking a leave of absence now. He's, he's kind of owning up to that in a way, right? Yeah, total respect. And, and obviously we should mention that uh, his parents were in a tragic uh, boating accident and his mother actually passed as a result. And so his dad's not well. So there's a lot of things happening for, for him. Um, but from the Uber side of things, I think that this, this next clip we're going to play is really starting to, to touch not on the values, but, but on really we're shifting over to the business side. What's the end value that they're creating and how does the business model work out of that? So this next clip is him talking about this idea of how they actually create time rather than take it. And we're not selling your time. We're actually um, we're giving time back. We're making your time more valuable. Um, and we believe that sort of, you know, we, we have these like 
four sort of dimensions of magic at Uber. And um, one of them is about time and giving people that time back. So, so because of what we do, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. I, I don't say, oh, we're not a Silicon Valley, you know, we're not a Silicon Valley company because we think of it different. We're just not a media company. Um, and so while media companies might take a little slice, we will give more than that back uh, through efficiency. And that's kind of what we do. Hmm. What now you've been exposed to the media world a lot. How did when you heard this one, Chad, like what was your first reaction about, you know, taking time, paying for time, monetizing time? What, what was your thought? I think it's really smart on his part to position Uber in that way against all of these media companies that are vying for people's time. I think if you ask him, he would say that, you know, time is our biggest luxury and his aim is to give that back to people, you know, through the convenience and the reliability um, of of the service. And I, I think that that's how Uber sees you know, a greater good that they're giving to people is they're giving people their time back in a way. Yeah. And I totally buy that, right? Because I think about how exploited my time is by social services such as Facebook and how they're monetizing my private information. Um, You know, I really like the fact uh, that that Uber doesn't have that. Uh, I mean, how do you feel about Companies like Facebook and Snapchat monetizing your your you as the being the media yourself and your your private information. Well, I I personally am not on social media at all. <laughs> I think partly because of that principle, like I am a little uh, I don't know. I I don't I don't like that I, I don't like that feeling that you know if you don't know what the product is, you're the product. Um, yes. And so our, yes. our 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 time and attention is that product. Um, that's not to say that I, uh, you know, flitter away my time with other pursuits, but, um, I, it's an interesting jab from Travis to companies like Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram saying, you know, our business model doesn't rely on, uh, right. monetizing people's time and attention. We're actually giving that back to people. Don't you think it's interesting though, that in a way, if you take a social network such as Facebook or you take an Airbnb and, and Uber, they're all um, walking at this fine line of exploitation, right? Yeah, I mean, it, they're, they're finding the arbitrage, right? It's like, mm-hmm. can we get the drivers to drive for a low enough price, you know, to get all the users on board? Um, and, you know, if they can, then their business model works. If not, then, then it doesn't. Yeah, I um I find this really interesting. What I love about their business model is how clean it is because the people using are paying, whereas the, 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 the challenge that I have with Facebook is in the end of the day, they're exploiting their customer to, to resell that to a third party. And that just feels dangerous to me um, from a, just thinking pure business model perspective because, you know, you're essentially beholden to the trust that your users have of you. And if you ever... Uh, break that. I mean, it's easy to break and hard to gain. So it feels long term, you know, the likes of, of Google, you know, Facebook, Snapchat, etc, have quite a big risk around trust, which uh, to a certain extent, Uber has, but there's more of a direct relationship, you pay, you're the customer, you're paying, you're receiving the service, and there's not this introduction um, of a third paying party. However, there are obviously drivers, 
um, involved in the, in the picture here. Um, very interesting uh, breakdown on time, right? Yeah, I'm, it'll be very interesting to see, you know, how the Uber business model plays out. You know, can can they make Uber, you know, cheaper than owning a car? And if so, does that mean that no one will own cars? They'll just Uber around everywhere. It that's what they're betting on. But we have to, you know, we'll have to still wait and see. Right, right. So what's uh, what's coming up next? We we've got we've gone into into the time headspace. Um, I think you got another clip on. More of a personal angle, right? Yeah, I think one of Ariana's initiatives um, with her own company, Thrive Global, is you know uh, speaking about the benefits of sleep and and de-stressing yourself, uh, you know, to not overwork yourself, which I think is in some ways in direct conflict with Travis's um, you know history as an entrepreneur and and CEO at 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 Uber. And so here's, um, here's Travis kind of talking about, um, how he's matured, uh, through the years while working as CEO of Uber. If I'm super honest, like I was, you know, I, as an entrepreneur, I've matured over time. Right. And so I was, I've, you know, I'm less mature today than I will be tomorrow. And, um, yeah, I used to, I used to think that not sleeping was a good thing. A competitive advantage. And it's, and it was really interesting because I was sort of in my own process of maturation as an entrepreneur, which I've been in, you know, since the beginning, but I was sort of realizing that that was dumb. <laughs> and then we meet. Mm, mm. I, I just found that the, that, that, uh, such a telling uh, insight into the growth he's been on. Um, and I, I hear that and I just think, wow, and he's been able to get the company this far. I mean, it seems, seems I don't know who's gone on the biggest scale-up, Travis or the company. Yeah, I think um, for anyone interested in a, in a deeper look into uh, the history of Uber and Travis's beginnings, there's a brand new book called Wild Ride, Inside Uber's Quest for World Domination, uh, written by Adam Lashinsky, who's uh, wrote the, you know, some books about Apple and and others. Um, it's really great. You should you should check it out. Okay. Um, we'll put it in the show notes. But I think I, my answer is I think Travis has been forced into the biggest transformation uh, simply because for one person to be in charge of the company over the, the, this growth trajectory, you know, no one has done that as quickly, uh, in the CEO position as Travis, like he's, as far as I know, the only person that's had to go through that insane growth in such a short period of time, not only for the company, but for himself personally, which is why it's interesting, um, that he connected with Ariana Huffington, who, is seemingly on the outside, a kind of a very opposed personality in a way. Yes, I think, but I think that's exactly what he needs. And um, I think that, you know, I was reflecting on this and what to me is really obvious is how exceptional Zuckerberg was because Zuckerberg went and recruited Sheryl Sandberg. And what is clear now is travel, Travis really needed his own Sheryl, didn't he? Mm, mm. And so, so it really sets him up. Um, you know, I was thinking about other, what I call the cursed founder, CEO, uh, and it reminds me of Jerry Yang, uh, founder and CEO at one time of Yahoo, 
And then I was researching this. Have you ever heard of the, uh, uh, this guy called David uh, Nellerman? Have you heard of this guy? No. Okay, so check this out. He founded uh, JetBlue, but he's also founded like three other airlines. And he is like the, the, the world's biggest archetype of the, the cursed founder CEO because he always founds and then has to, to, to move on. So he founded um, JetBlue. Um, I'm going to look up this list of companies while we're chatting. It's, um, it's off the charts. The guy has uh, like, and setting up an airline is no small task, right? Yeah. I mean, very so, few people have done it. Yeah. So he's, listen to this. He's done Morris Air, WestJet, JetBlue, and he's now currently the Azul Brazilian Airlines CEO. So amazing to have, have done all that. But I just, I just see a lot of challenges ahead for Travis. And I think he was, you know, if I could pinpoint one thing organizationally, he doesn't have a Sheryl Sandberg. It's nice to have Ariana, but um, he, needs a, he needs a Sheryl. And I, I don't know if he can come back from this. What, what would you say? Yeah, I think... Uh, at the at the start of Uber, someone that was very integral into helping Travis uh, you know, run operations was Ryan Graves, kind of one of the very early um, early people at the company. And I think they've just they just haven't recruited enough experienced executives fast enough. I don't think they realized how fast that they would have to do that. And I think that that's what's kind of come back to bite them now. Um, is that they were on an unprecedented accelerated growth rate. You know, they just didn't know simply how quickly they had to hire people and, yes. and find their Sheryl Sandbergs. Yeah, and, and so we want to be fair to, to Travis here. This growth is unprecedented. So, you know, what you're hiring for today could be very different tomorrow. But he did attempt to get um, uh, a guy called Jeff Jones, who was the CMO at Target. And um, Jeff actually joined. Um, but he lasted only six months. And when he, when he left, he left um, in a not too uh, easy way. Uh, he, he really said the culture is rotten and I'm out of here. <laughs> so, so it, it and, shows. And there were a few others at, around the same time as well, where I, I know that Travis and the executive team had invested you know, dozens of hours in, in hiring, in vetting and hiring these people, but um, you know, they didn't last very long. Yeah. And so what, one of the greatest ironies here is that for all of the, all of the tech and business success, how limited that is if you don't have the people thing right. So they've got great product, great business model, and uh, the people is where they fall short. And, and this reminds me of a great uh, framework for our listeners. If you're, before you get too deep into, you know, your, your little innovation or your disruption or product, think about your, your new company uh, in these terms, people, product, and profit. And you've got to have all of those three working together. And, and quite clearly, you know, Travis has, has really excelled with a great product, uh, with a great business model, uh, doesn't own a single car, it's all good. But not having people, you know, not having the culture to support that. I mean, you would need, literally have needed the Golden State Warriors of executives um, in order to get this job done. So in fairness to him, it's, it would have been one in a million chance of having the people. Yeah, you know, they're in the unfortunate or fortunate, depending on how you see it, mm. uh, situation of, of being in that mm. 
that hyper growth trajectory that, that no other company has experienced to date. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think, you know, we could, we could jam on, on, on poor Travis for hours, but I, I know we have one more great clip around this idea of story, which, which I think speaks a lot to, to where Uber's at. Do you want to set this up for the listeners and we'll, we'll give one last clip a, a run? Oh, I, it's it's an interesting kind of meta uh, commentary. You know, here we are sitting here, you know, talking about uh, Uber and everything that Travis has done or not done there. Um, it's just an interesting reflection on his part um, about the power of story. If you grow like we've grown and you don't, you're like a black box. You're not telling your story. You're showing by example and actions speak louder words, all these things. Then people fill that box with whatever gets clicks, you know? And so, so you need to, one of the things that we, you know, that as an, as an, the guy with an engineering background, you have to learn how to, how to tell your story. Um, I, you know, he's so right. Um, you know, when you're pitching for investment for customers, when you're even trying to pitch people, you're recruiting to your company, you need to have the story. And, and I think, I would defer to, do you know, you must know, Chad, you, Simon Sinek and The Power of Why, right? Yeah, I love that book. Right. For our listeners, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, go to moonshots.io. Uh, um, this is a really incredible uh, book. And it, what, what I want to characterize for, for everyone is like, you have to realize that most engineering uh, entrepreneurs and innovators like Travis, um, they are obsessed with what they do, okay? We have a widget that does something, right? And this is their preoccupation, right? But the, the problem is other human beings um, really don't care so much about the what. They care about how you do something. And the how is more like, how are you different? What's the style? What's the way in which you get the what done that makes you so special? So often in... in, in executive uh, speak, it's like, what's your USP uh, or your point of difference? Um, but even more so at the, the biggest point of it, it's like, why are you doing this? And, and I always try to frame from people, don't say why you are doing it, but also why are you doing this in terms of what happens in the world when you do your thing in your special way? What's the, the net positive impact? And you can see that what Travis is saying is uh, they were going so fast, they were busy with the what, and everybody sort of disconnected with how they were doing things and why they were doing things. And I felt that if he had had that framework where he could have talked about that, uh, I think he could have done a much better job, at least externally, don't you think, Chad? Yeah, and I think, just like you said, it's his circumstances that really forced him into the what and the execution and making sure that it happened um, and that it didn't, you know, that things didn't just unravel for him, which could have been, it could have easily been the case, right? You know, Uber would not have gotten to this point of over $60 billion valuation without Travis there at, at the helm. But I think he's in this clip really finally realizing, well, you know what, we probably didn't do the best job of telling our own story. And now we're going to make that, you know, more important and, and a, a core part of what we do. Yeah, and I, and I think you can still see the journey he's got because he's still a little bit, um, and if, if, if folks go and have a listen to the entire talk, he's still a little bit blaming others for filling in the gaps of, 
uh, of the story. Uh, he's got to make a little bit of a, a, a jump to, hey, it's my story. I have to, I have to own it. But I think he, I think he could get there. Um, but, you know, when I reflect on this, I guess, like, with the benefit of hindsight, Chad, what, where do you think uh, he could have done things differently? What are the few things that you take out of this, like, <laughs> note to self, uh, what are the, the big learnings on this one from, from looking at Travis? I think you put it well when you said start with, with the why. And with, with Uber, I think focusing on you know, their core service of moving people and things within cities and how that gives people more time to do the things that they want to do and giving you know, partners or, or drivers opportunities to, to earn a living, I think those are the core elements of Uber's story, you know, focusing on the drivers that are able to make an extra buck to buy a gift for their daughter for their birthday and uh, getting cancer patients to their uh, appointments. These are all things that I know that they are doing. Yeah. Um, but f- somehow that's not, uh, they're it's not, not coming through. yeah, it's just not coming through all the noise. Um, and so I think, they've been stuck in this reactionary mode instead of like discovering and going deep into their own story and right. really owning it and really, um, you know, put, pushing it out there uh, in an effective and, way. And um, by having that, that frame of telling your story better, um, you look at the contrast between him and Elon and man, Elon is so out in front, like he's just got the world awaiting his next his next announcement. Whereas with Uber, you can tell like they're, they're, in su- they're on the back foot and they're just continually um, protecting and defending. Um, so for sure, I love that. I do think um, another big learning for me was, you know, Travis doesn't have to have all the answers, but he needed to, to, to bring a consigliere on board. He desperately needs his Sheryl Sandberg, right? Yeah. It, it feels like like a mini. He needed a mini Ariana uh, to be full time on staff, not just a board member. I mean, he needs and that. much sooner. Oh, it feels like two years ago, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, any other things you think, with the benefit of hindsight, he could have done? I'm not sure that I have have much to add. I I, I would I would just like to know more about about uber uh from from uber or from uber insiders i again i don't think that they if from my perspective have done a great job of sharing that information you know you, i think a lot of yours and my exposure is these these articles you know that mm. are getting clicks as travis says mm. and um i you know at some point you know uber is going to have to see the media as an ally for, for them to be able to, to to share their story yeah. um yeah. But I mean, I'm not a PR strategist, so I don't yeah. know that I have uh, some, you know, specific yeah. strategies for that. Yeah. You know, maybe there's this, I mean, it's a bit controversial, but maybe they, they just push too hard on the gas pedal. Maybe they, they, it got a little too rough and bouncy along the way. Maybe they needed to just slow down. Like maybe Uber Eats, one of the newer initiatives, maybe they should have put that on the back burner and kept, you know, kept the trains running on time, so to speak, because it seems like they just, 
got a little too close to the sun. Um, but luckily, you know, obviously there is some wisdom there. He's taking a time out. Um, the question is they have to get leadership in place um, that don't function, don't, they don't only functionally get the job done, but behaviorally in terms of culture and values um, really get it right. Because as we said, they've got the business model, they've got the product. It's, it's whether they've got the, the people, the culture um, to nurture, uh, nurture all of these, uh, you know, possibilities. It's such a force for positive change in the world, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of hygiene and, and homework to get done in, in the meantime. It's so a I really remarkable a- story, yeah, and I'm, I'm glad we were able to, uh, to get together and kind of put this podcast um, together on such short, short notice. You know, we wanted to kind of jump onto the, onto the, the media cycle and, and be sure that we, um, you know, provided you, our listeners, some, some information and, co- and context for, you know, what's going on. Yeah, yeah, totally, and, and a great contrast to our first one. I think, um, Chad, do you want to give a shout-out? We got some great um, feedback and support from folks. Um, you want to give a shout-out to some of those folks? Yeah, thank you, everyone, to, uh, to listening on our first podcast on Elon Musk. I specifically want to say thank you to Travis and Christine and Shannon uh, for your reviews and, and feedback on the show. Um, it, it means a lot to us uh, that you take the time to you know, go on this journey with us exploring the lives of these innovators, uh, disruptors, uh, founders, and in uh, the in the great companies that they're that they're trying to build, um, I would encourage all of you to follow everything that we're doing here at Moonshots.io. And uh, Mike, do you have anything else to add? Let's let's say well, we should um, uh, say that short of um, some more news fairies dropping, we will do. Uh, Jeff Bezos uh, for our next episode. So looking forward to him. Uh, I put him right up there with Elon. What about you, Chad? Elon, Jeff, greatest innovator of our time. Where, where are you coming out? I don't know. I'm really kind of falling in love with the story of, of Amazon um, as I'm doing kind of some deep background research. Um, I think in terms of... Lo- I th- Jeff Bezos has the longevity on Elon, um, so we may just need a little bit more time, you know, to see, uh, to right. see where both of the, the, their companies end up. Yes. And, and we should mention that, that Jeff's been busy. He just bought a little company called Whole Foods, which is very exciting, kind of different coming from different places on culture there. You know, Jeff is, is very hard on value and price. Uh, Whole Foods is certainly, <laughs> certainly not that. So what a fascinating combination. We're going to be studying that in the, uh, and discussing that in the next show. Um, I think we should invite listeners, send us all your ideas and feedback, um, please. Uh, we need you guys to tell us what works and what doesn't. Uh, the show notes, Chad, we're going to put all of the show notes together with all the goodies from this episode. Where will they find those show notes? on moonshots.io and uh, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, your podcatcher of choice. You can also find us on SoundCloud um, and leave us a review. Uh, We really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, Chad, great chatting, all all things Uber and I can't wait to, to talk about Amazon and Bezos next week. All right, we'll speak to you next time, Mike. Thanks. Bye.